Hello and welcome to episode 1.3 of the America's Lost History Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Wismer, and today we're going to be discussing Massachusetts, which is going to be the hardest of the podcasts just because I have to say Massachusetts all the time. Uh, I'm going to title this one The Sons of Liberty because to me, these delegates, not including John Hancock, we already did in episode 1.1, are probably the some of the most famous patriots during the revolution. So let's get right into it. This is going to be a long one, folks, because, like I said, these are some of the most noteworthy of all of the delegates. Our first delegate is John Adams, who was born October the 30th, 1735, and would die July the 4th, 1826. At the age of signing, he was 40 years old. Anyone who's seen the movie 1776 or the HBO series Adams knows that John Adams as the grumpy, argumentative founding father. He was born in Maintree, Braintree, Massachusetts, which is now part of Quincy, Massachusetts. On, on his father's side, he was descended from Henry Adams, who, was, who emigrated to England in circa 1632. And on his mother's side, he was descended from John Alden, who was of the Mayflower. So his family had been around in the colony for a long time. His father was John Adams Sr., a farmer and shoemaker. He was also a deacon, and he wished for his son to become a minister. His mother was Susanna Bolston. John had th two brothers, one of whom would die uh, in 1775, very early during the Revolution, from dysentery, actually. John would receive his primary education in Braintree, his father would then sell 10 acres for him to attend Harvard. He would graduate in 1755 and begin his path to being admitted to the bar. John would study under a barrister named Putnam and would be admitted to the bar in 1758. His first practice would be opened in Braintree and then in 1761 he would be admitted as a barrister. In 1765 with the passing of the Stamp Act which as if you're noticing, is a recurring theme in our series, uh, Adams would become much more politically active. He actually wrote an essay on the canon and feudal law. It, this essay was very important because it established the American colonists' op opposition to the Stamp Act based on the infringement of two inalienable rights guaranteed to all Englishmen, taxation by consent and trial by jury of one's peers. This would become very important when the lead up to the revolution uh, this document is still out there you can find it uh, pretty much anywhere with an easy internet search this essay made Adams well known in patriot circles and he would become associated with early patriot James Otis Otis and Adams demanded the governor stop using stamped papers in court documents as protest to the stamped act uh, and then anybody who knows anything about John Adams knows about his lifelong partnership with his wife, Abigail Smith Adams. John and Abigail would, be, would marry in 1766 and remain so until her death in 1818. Soon after their marriage, John would move to Boston and open his practice there. Once in Boston, he would be more associated with Otis, Hancock, and other patriots. One of the most contentious issues facing the colonists was the quartering of British troops in Boston. Adams and other patriots petitioned the governor to have the troops removed from Boston, sadly unsuccessfully. Leading from this, on March 5, 1770, the Boston Massacre occurred. 
British soldiers quartered in town fired on the crowd. Crowd is a loose term, really. It was a mob that was attacking the soldiers with sticks and rocks and things. But the British soldiers killed five citizens of Boston. Captain Preston, in charge of the troops that day, and others of his soldiers were arraigned for murder. Adams, already a successful lawyer and a patriot, made the difficult call to defend the soldiers because to him the rule of law is more important and he felt that these men deserved to have a, a good defense. Uh, this act would make him unpopular with patriots but it could have made him unpopular with patriots but it didn't really seem to do so in this case because he was already an established patriot at this point uh, and, this, and in fact in the same year he was elected to the provincial assembly. Adams proved so popular with the people that he was elected to the First Continental Congress. He took his seat there on September the 5th, 1774. He was re-elected in 1775 and was instrumental in having Washington named Commander-in-Chief of the Colonial Forces. Uh, May 6th, 1776, Adams introduced a motion to Congress for the colonies to form an independent government from the Crown. In effect, they would be declaring independence. Uh, it was not popular in Congress and this uh, did not go through. Uh, but when Lee introduced his motion for independence a month later, Adams was a vocal supporter. Adams was then appointed to the committee that drafted the Declaration of Independence and duly signed the document on August the 2nd, 1776. Adams, along with Franklin and Rutledge, met with Lord Howe in a failed attempt to end the hostilities in the same year, uh, going behind enemy lines and trying to negotiate. Unfortunately, did not end and war would continue. In 1777, Adams was sent to Cong by Congress to France to assist Dr. Franklin with negotiations there, and he would remain. He would return home in 1779, and he would write, help write the Constitution for his home state. He was then sent to act as America's minister to Great Britain, but they were unwilling to discuss peace at this point. While preparing to return home, he was appointed commissioner in Holland and was instrumental in securing a loan to the fledgling nation. In 1781, he returned to England with Franklin, Lawrence, and Jay to negotiate the peace treaty. He would be the first to sign the Treaty of Paris that ended the war. In 1785, he was appointed Minister of, for the United States to the Court of Great Britain, a post he would hold until 1788 when he would resign and come home. In 1788, he was elected America's first Vice President and re-elected in 1792. In 1796, he would be elected as the second President of the United States, in 1800, he would lose a bitter election to Jefferson, and these two lifelong friends would break from friendship because of it. Um, there's some excellent books and research you can do about uh, the Jefferson-Adams rivalry while they were in office. In 1801, Adams would retire from public life. And then in 1812, Jefferson and Adams would be reconciled through the auspices of Benjamin Rush, another signer of the Declaration. They would remain in correspondence until the end of their days. Adams would pass on July the 4th, 1826. His last words famously were, Thomas Jefferson survives. Little did he know that Jefferson had died earlier that same day. I, this is a brief synopsis of John Adams. I didn't want to spend all day talking about him. He's one of my personal heroes. Um, especially for the Founding Fathers. I feel like he was one of the ones who stuck to his virtues and his morals and his compass no matter what. 
Uh, I recommend reading McCullough's John Adams or following up and reading some other excellent works out there about John Adams. So let's move on to our second and sadly less famous delegate, Samuel Adams. Born September the 29th, 1722. Died October the 2nd, 1803. At the age of signing, he was 53. The older, more boisterous cousin of John Adams. Today is probably most recognized by the name, the beer named after him, but he was a fiery patriot. Samuel's father was a prosperous Boston merchant named Samuel Adams, Sr., and when his father died in 1748, Samuel inher inherited some money, but Samuel was a poor businessman. Not long after his father's death, the there's some contention whether he had a brewery or a maltery. A maltery is maltsters or people that just make malt for brewing beer. Um, but whichever it was, the malt house that Samuel was running went bankrupt. Uh, but his early education, Samuel attended the Boston Latin School and then Harvard, where he graduated in 1740. And in 1743, Adams actually earned a master's degree from Harvard. Samuel's father wanted him to go into law, but Samuel chose to go into business. He apprenticed under Thomas Cushing in his counting house, but the position did not last long because Thomas Cushing thought that Samuel was too focused on politics and not enough on his job. In 1763, Adams asserted that the colony should unite to deny the supremacy of Parliament, and this may have been the first public assertion of the ideals that would lead to revolution. In 1765, Adams was elected to the General Assembly, where he would become a leader of the opposition. And then after the Boston Massacre, Adams would agitate for the removal of British troops from the city, which they were ultimately successful until the British came back, uh, and then we famously have the Battles of Breed Hill. In 1772, Adams was pivotal in founding the Committee for Correspondence between the Colonies. Famously, when General Gage issued his proclamation of pardon for colonists who swore an oath to their king, Adams and his friend Hancock were excluded. In fact, there's a story that part of the reason British troops went to Lexington and Concord was to arrest Hancock and Adams. Adams was elected to the Continental Congress and took his seat in September 1774. He would hold this post until 1781. Uh, supposedly he looked so poor that his friends bought him new clothes so that he could report to Philadelphia in style. After retiring from, car retiring from Congress in 1781, Adams tried successfully, unsuccessfully to win a seat at the House of Re Representatives. He did secure a seat in the Massachusetts State Senate and helped with the ratification of the Constant Constitution, even though he had been opposed to it without a Bill of Rights. But he was assured that there would be a Bill of Rights attached to it, and he helped uh, get ratification. He would serve as lieutenant governor under his friend Hancock, becoming governor when Hancock died in 1793. He would then hold that post until 1797. He would retire after this and re pass on in 1803. Elbridge Jerry, born July the 17th, 1744, died November the 23rd, 1814. Age at signing, 32. The founding father who gave us the term gerrymandering was born in Marblehead, Massachusetts. His father was a merchant shipper named Thomas Jerry. His mother, Elizabeth Greenhart, was the daughter of a rich merchant. Elbridge would attend Harvard, graduating in 1762 and earning a master's degree in 1765. 
and by the 1770s he was a very successful merchant. In 1773 he was elected as a member of the General Court, where he was an outspoken opponent of General Governor Hutchinson and then his successor, General Gage. In January 1776, he was elected to the Continental Congress. He voted for independence, but was away from Congress for the original signing in August. He, in fact, supposedly wrote to the Adams cousins to have them sign for him, but he would sign the document later that fall. While in Congress, he would use his fiscal knowledge to benefit the fledgling country. In fact, he would sit on numerous committees that were dealing with the fiscal responsibilities of the new government. He may have been involved in some war profiteering, and in, when in 1780 Congress took steps to address war profiteering, he resigned in protest. But he would come back in 1783 after being re-elected. In 1787, his home state sent him to the Constitutional Convention, where he was apparently the delegate who opposed everything. But he would eventually ultimately refuse to sign the document, because he was not happy with it. After passing the passing of the Constitution, when it became law of the land, he would follow it, and in fact he would be elected to the House of Representatives. He would serve two terms as in Congress, and then retire to private life. However, in 1798, President Adams sent him to France as one of the three envoys to the revolutionary government. Uh, this is going to set off one of the most infamous parts of Adams' presidency, which is the XYZ affair, uh, which is something we could talk about in a different episode. Jerry was elected governor of Massachusetts in 1810, and then again in 1811. But he was elect then he was elected vice president of the United States, and he would die in office while serving as Madison's vice president in 1814. While serving as the governor of Massachusetts, the Democratic-Republican legislator redistributed the electoral districts in their favor. Even though he found the act distasteful, Governor Jerry signed the legislation and one political cartoonist of a Federalist newspaper compared one district to the shape of a salamander, which he called a gerrymander. And that is where we get the term gerrymandering, which unfortunately is still in effect today. Robert Treat Payne, our last delegate that we're dealing with today, was born March the 11th, 1731, and he would die May the 12th, 1814. At the age of signing, he was 45. Born in Boston, the son of Reverend Thomas Paine and Eunice Treat Paine, descendant of a Mayflower colonist, attended the Boston Latin School and at the age of 14 attended Harvard. In 1755, he would go with a military expedition and serve as the chaplain during the French and Indian War. Soon after this, he would return and abandon the clergy and begin to study law. He was admitted to the bar, and in 1770, he would be the prosecutor in the Captain Preston case, which we talked about earlier. He was the prosecutor, and John Adams was the defendant, defender. In 1773, he was the chairman of the Committee of Vigilance and also a member of the Provincial Assembly. In 1774, he was elected as delegate to the Continental Congress, and in 1777, Payne was chosen Attorney General for Massachusetts. He would hold this office until 1790. While in Congress, he was known as the objection maker. He rarely proposed his own ideas, only opposing the ideas of others. He was a member of the Constitution that framed the Constitution for his home state. In 1804, he would step down from the bench and retire from public life. Sadly, his he would, personal life, there would be some tragedy with his eldest son, who would die in 1811. And then in 1814, 
Robert Trepain would pass on at the age of 84. So that's our episode for the Sons of Liberty. Come back next week and we'll be talking about Rhode Island, the small state, but still some interesting characters to talk about. Um, I'm going to work on putting my sources on the Facebook group today for at least a temporary answer for the fact that I feel like I should be referencing my sources. And I have come to follow us on the Facebook group, which is Age of America's Lost History on Facebook. Thank you very much. Have a good day.